0: pertaining to their field and area of interest and we can use this research evidence and knowledge in conjunction with our own practical knowledge and experiences to better inform practices and policies okay um so i'm now going to introduce our presenters today today we have dr louise caffrey who is an assistant professor in social policy at the school of social work and social policy trinity college dublin Much of Dr. Caffrey's research stems from a core interest in the challenges of implementing public policy and practice initiatives in organizations. Her research has sought to better understand, firstly, why implementing policy is so challenging, and secondly, how we can better evaluate public policy initiatives and programs so that evaluation findings are more useful for policymakers. We also have Dr. Frida Brown, who's an assistant professor at the School of Nursing, Midwifery and Health Systems at the University College Dublin and program director for the BSC in general nursing. Frida has considerable experience in the realist approaches to research, including realist evaluation and realist synthesis. Um, so we're so happy to have both of you here today. Thank you so much. And we're really looking forward to your presentation.
1: Thank you so much, Sarah. Sorry, just finding the the unmute button there. Um, Thank you very much. I just need to, sorry, fix something. I have undone my screen. Mm -hmm. One second. Here we go. Thank you so much for that introduction. Um, We're really delighted to present this research to all of you this evening. And thank you so much to Park Canada for the invitation. We really appreciate it. I suppose as researchers, you always hope that your research can be of practical benefit and being able to share it with practitioners on the ground is absolutely key to that so we're really delighted to be here tonight and I'm going to present the research but um, I really want to emphasize Frida very much was a part of this research we were partners in it together and her expertise in realist um, um, evaluation and realist synthesis was very much part of this too so she's going to help me field the questions at the end as well and we'll do that together. Um, So hopefully you enjoy the presentation and it's useful to you, and I'm really looking forward to the discussion at the end as well and answering your questions. So let's get started. I want to say a little bit, first of all, just about child protection and child welfare systems as complex adaptive systems. This idea that children's service organizations have particular characteristics that make them complex systems. And this is important in the context of this research because it makes implementing anything, you know, practice, policy, really quite challenging. And something that I want to emphasize through this research is that we should expect the process of implementation to be something that is challenging. Um, And there's a couple of reasons that child welfare organizations are challenging to implement things in. But you will, as people on the ground will know this probably from your experience. When you try to make change in big, complex organizations, you you find that things often don't quite go as planned. Um, and, and that is something that is very common to this type of organization. And there's a whole science around this called complexity science. So when we talk about child protection, child welfare organizations, we can say that you know, the implementation is difficult, first of all, because they are inherently difficult to control. So within these organizations, we have human people within them and they can self-organize. So if you think of something like a car, which is a mechanical system, it's of course much easier to implement something in a mechanical system because the system itself, the car isn't going to self-organize as you try to make change in it. But that is not true of human organizations. Within human organizations, Professionals, families, can they have a, a huge degree of agency and they can act and react and they do from their own perspectives, their own local understandings, their own histories and motivations. And to make things even more complicated, the actions of actors are all connected. And so one person's actions can change the context for other people. And then on top of this, Child welfare systems are what we call open systems in the sense that the work of protecting children is cross-sectoral, it is not done just within one organization, all social workers must work with other professionals in order to do that work well. And this means that what we have is multiple interacting systems coming together to do the work of child welfare, and this makes things extremely complex. So. Implementing interventions is, therefore, and when I say interventions, I mean something like signs of safety or any kind of change to practice or policy. So I'm using that term generally. I'm going to call it an intervention, but it's signs of safety or anything like it, any kind of change. And making these, these interventional changes can be challenging because their consequences are inherently difficult to predict because of the complexity of systems. The other aspect of this is that child protection interventions are themselves complex. So when we take something like signs of safety, it is itself a complex intervention. It has multiple components. So like the system that it's introduced into, it has loads of parts and those parts interact with each other. And the intervention itself can modify the context. So when signs of safety or any other intervention is introduced, it itself changes the context for people working in it and service users in it. And signs of safety is part of a, it's one of a subset of types of interventions that actually explicitly tries to change the context. So we'll talk about this a bit as we go along, but something that signs of safety is looking to do is actually to try to change the context it's implemented into in order to try to get the outcomes that it's looking for and so when we think about implementation within child welfare systems and it's not unique to science of safety but it's absolutely relevant to science of safety what we're really talking about is the introduction of complex interventions into complex systems and that process is inherently going to be potentially challenging. It's going to be unpredictable. And I would argue that we should expect that based on what we know about these complex systems. So with that kind of background in mind, our research looks at signs of safety and its implementation. And I'm not going to talk too much about signs of safety itself, because you're all Probably very familiar with it, but a few things just to, to note. You know, so signs of safety aims to provide families with a genuine opportunity to demonstrate that they can provide safe care for children before the system intervenes to provide that care itself. And it builds on solution focused therapy and strengths based practice, aiming to help professionals to build strong relationships while keeping a definitive focus on safety. And within that it looks to help professionals to develop balanced analysis and to incorporate strengths harm and risk of harm while analyzing with an open mind and i want to emphasize that last point because i'm going to come back to it in a little bit this is something that science of safety very much aims to do so while signs of safety in some ways it has a, a, a few tools that you'll probably be familiar with, like mapping and appreciative inquiry, my three houses, etc. And those tools, in some ways, seem kind of straightforward. But when we look at them, we might argue that they are not quite as straightforward as they seem. And I'm going to come back to that point because we can see from the literature, and our review of the literature very much shows that signs of safety is often not implemented as intended or it's implemented in a piecemeal fashion where. Bits are implemented but not necessarily the whole And so in this sense there is this problem of, of implementation and where signs of safety or any other kind of practice change is not implemented this is a problem not just because it's not been implemented but also because it poses problems for evaluation we can't effectively we can't evaluate signs of safety if it hasn't been, Properly, evaluate, uh, properly implemented, because we're not, imp- we're not evaluating its real implementation. And so, so I would argue that implementation is something that we really need to focus on in order to be able to improve our evaluation, as well as for its own sake. And science of safety, interestingly, since 2016, it developed this organisational theory of change. So it already had practice theory of change, which did great work in trying to kind of set out what signs of safety is looking to do in terms of its practice so setting out the theory of of practice for signs of safety and what that should look like and why certain things are done in signs of safety but in 2016 the architects of the approach developed an organizational theory of change alongside this in recognition of the difficulties in trying to implement it as it's intended and um, t- To talk about it in a brief sort of way, the organizational theory of change suggests that in order for science of safety to be implemented alongside these practice changes, there's a few organizational changes that need to be in place. And these are systems for organizational learning, measurement alignment, so how the organization measures success and and practice needs to be aligned with science of safety, various leadership methods and also organizational alignment and i just want to highlight this because we're going to come back to some of these points as we discuss the findings so i'll say a little bit about our our methodology this study is a realist synthesis Um, And Frida and I are both very interested in realist methods. So this includes both realist evaluation and realist synthesis. And we, I I think it was important that realist methods were used in this study because they are complexity-informed methods. And so they try to disentangle these problems that we have around how complex human systems are. And I'll just say a little bit about realist synthesis as an introduction to it. it's an explanatory methodology. It aims to explain in its analysis how and why interventions work or don't work in particular context and also who for whom they work. So, realist synthesis is a literature reviewing methodology primarily, but it also includes a primary data collection aspect and In um, our research, this was focus groups. So we did focus groups with um, international experts across the globe, really, um, who were experts in signs of safety. And while realist methods haven't really been used very much within child welfare research or social work research, they're very common within health services research. And so we we borrow from that literature in order to, to build our methodology. Realist synthesis, um, realist methods generally um, have a way of expressing the analysis, which I just want to mention because you'll see it within our findings. So what it aims to do is to develop a program theory, a theory about how and why interventions work, in what contexts and for whom. And that theory is expressed as context C. Plus mechanisms equals outcomes. And you'll see this within our, our findings um, in the way that we present our theory. And the aim is then to build and test these, we call them CMOC configurations, context mechanism outcome configurations. And in this particular paper, so we have a few papers from the study, but in this particular paper, we focused on this question What supports and derails staff buy in to implement science of safety and why? Okay, so briefly, our, our methodology consisted of these stages. We started with a two-member expert panel and quizzed them about their, our understanding of the program logic of science of safety, of how exactly science of safety works, um, including in what context it might behave in different ways and for whom it might behave differently in their experience. And we had questions around the logic of the program that they were able to help us with. And we then moved into our empirical literature and full uh, uh, data data analysis within this and data collection stage. So we did a realist review of the literature and ultimately we extracted 53 studies um, for this this study. And 31 of them are cited in this paper. Um, The ones that we didn't cite are cited in other papers where we're answering different questions around um, signs of safety. And from this, we produced initial program theories and they're written as the CMOCs, Context Mechanism Outcome Configurations. We then did focus groups with 22 international science of safety experts. And they were with the science the of safety um, trainers and consultants from around the world, as well as the architects of the approach, the, the designers of it, builders of the approach, and ELIA um, directors. And we use those to help to develop these theories further and to confirm or refute them and build new theory. So we did an analysis of that data and then returned to the literature to refine our theories. And ultimately what we're presenting here in this, this paper is a final program theory related to implementation of science of safety. And we presented a six CMOCs, which I'm going to go through now. And they're on this question that I mentioned previously, what supports and derails staff buy-in to implement science of safety and why? Okay, so our findings um, are on these six CMOCs, and they're these emerging program theories that aim to understand how interacting effects of people's reasoning, and in this case, in this particular question that we're looking at, that reasoning is tends to be of workers or um other professionals working in the system, how the effects of their reasoning and resources and varying conditions affects the implementation of signs of safety. We made this very nice diagram, which you can't really see here, but I'm I'm just pointing it out to you so that you might be encouraged to have a look at it in the paper if you like. Um, it pulls together all of our findings together into one diagram and shows how they relate together, but I won't get into that level of, of detail here. But I am going to present to you these six MOs and they the first one is about, well, I'll go into these in detail as we go through. The first one is about failing to balance where workers fail to balance strengths and harm and risk of harm. Second is around having and using interpersonal and critical thinking skills. The third one is about training for learning. Fourthly about the absence of group supervision and how this can affect dysfunctional implementation of signs of safety. Fifth is around the organizational alignment and the importance of that for implementation. And finally, around engaged leadership for implementation. So will go through these in some detail now. So this first CMOC relates to mindsets, effectively, mindsets of workers. And you'll know that within Signs of Safety, a really key assertion in um, Signs of Safety itself is that The family's ability to care is not static. It's not fixed. It is context dependent in the sense that signs of safety asserts that it's possible that a family who are not caring for their child well now may be able to care for their child if the right support is provided. And part of the workers role is to try to figure out if that is possible for this family or not and to do the work of analysis and making decisions around around that. So in order to do that analysis and make good decisions and judgments, within signs of safety, workers are encouraged to, in the first initial stage, to suspend their judgment until they have collected enough information so that they're not biased by their initial um, thoughts about the case. And to then balance evidence around strengths harm and risk of harm. And of course, signs of safety is a particular type of intervention that brings in strengths based practice. And so it focuses not just on harm and risk of harm, but also on strengths. And what we see from the literature is that there is evidence that workers can use signs of safety well, but it's not always used well. It's not always implemented well. And so some what we see again from the literature is that some workers fail to balance analysis So they're not balancing strengths, harm and risk of harm well, and therefore not doing signs of safety well. And some workers oppose signs of safety and they oppose it, it seems, because they object to the inclusion of strengths within the approach. Uh, Some workers believe that including strengths within analysis could be dangerous, could be harmful and that the focus should be on harm and risk of harm, and therefore they don't want to use signs of safety. And of course, this can then derail the implementation. And so in our analysis, pulling um, everything together, we suggest that we can see two mindsets that are apparent within the implementation of signs of safety and have an effect on implementation. The first we called fixed towards harm. And this is where workers are incorporating an assessment of harm, but they're not incorporating strengths within their analysis. And the second is the opposite of this, so the opposite problem effectively, and we call this fixed towards strengths. And this is where workers are excessively focused on strengths and they're not giving sufficient attention to harm. So let me give you a little bit more detail about those two mindsets. So this is a CMOC, a context mechanism outcome configuration. You can see we represent context with C, M with a mechanism with M and O with outcome, but it's a narrative explanation of what is happening that pulls together our analysis. And in terms of this first mindset, so going, sorry, go back here. So this is the one about fixed towards harm. Where a worker is cognitively fixed towards harm, they may fear that incorporating strengths is unsafe. Or they may perceive signs of safety strategies as pointless because they assume that families lack the capacity to change, and they may therefore fail to implement signs of safety. And this is a quote from our focus groups that illustrates um, this, this point. So one of our participants saying it's about and just explaining this idea saying it's about another version, a vision that they have on child protection. It's the idea that families can't change and so we have to take the kids out of the family and put it in the residential care or foster care situation. And that they are not smart enough or bright enough to change and that to be a better parent is just not in their abilities so that was the first um mindset that we that we identified from the literature and from the focus groups and the second is the opposite of that so the second one what we see is that alternatively if a worker is cognitively fixed towards strengths they may focus excessively on strengths and on the and or on the goal of keeping children with their family so they may be essentially focused on the idea that children shouldn't or can't be taken into care in signs of safety, so a misunderstanding of the approach, and they may instead focus simply on strengths because of that. And they may therefore implement signs of safety dysfunctionally overlooking evidence of harm or risk of harm with the potential of the unwanted consequence that children may be left in danger. And we see in the literature, um, one example of this, so we we see examples of where it it occurs at the individual level of workers, but there's also one example of it occurring at an organizational level. So where an organization identified that the organization as a whole had really lost focus on safety because there was this misperception that signs of safety meant taking into children into care was not in keeping with the organization's goals. Now, of course, that's a complete misunderstanding of signs of safety. The organization identified it. And, and went to fix it. So they went to address that with their workers um, as a misperception and, and explain that that is not in keeping with signs of safety. But what we're emphasizing here is that these are misunderstandings that can occur and that organizations should be very mindful of in the implementation process. Organizations should be, and, you know, supervisors, managers should be keeping an eye out for these misunderstandings because they can occur and will need to be fixed if they do occur, so corrected if they do occur. Okay, so our second CMOC is around having and using interpersonal and critical thinking skills. So we see within the literature that the architects of the approach explain that signs of safety is a process rather than a content model and i think this is quite important when you look at the broader literature so um what the architects are explaining here is that signs of safety is a framework for child protection social work it is not something that can provide social workers with more general social work knowledge and skills it's assumed that when social workers are using signs of safety they come to signs of safety with skills and knowledge that they will need to be able to implement the approach and do social work well. So in that sense, they describe it as a content, a process rather than a content model. And signs of safety has three core principles, but I want to speak about two key ones here. The first principle is that signs of safety says that establishing constructive working relationships and partnerships is key to the approach. And what It's the approach says is that it is not really possible to do signs of safety without incorporating these principles. So signs of safety is not simply its tools. It is the use of the tools with the principles. And the first one, as I said, is about establishing constructive working relationships. So that's with families and partnerships with professionals. And we can see here that interpersonal skills are going to be absolutely key to doing that, to enacting that principle. And the second principle is around engaging in critical thinking and maintaining a position of inquiry. So in order to do this balanced analysis incorporating the strengths, harm and risk of harm, everything else that science of safety mapping includes, workers are going to need to use critical thinking skills. These are higher level, higher order skills in, in general terms, and we should expect that workers will need these. So What we see from the literature is that indeed, skills and competence of the social worker make a significant contribution to how signs of safety is used and whether it's practiced using these signs of safety principles. And we further see in the literature that, and this is also confirmed in our our focus groups, that skilled use by workers of signs of safety requires time. So while workers can do the basics of signs of safety in the sense of using the tools, because the tools seem relatively straightforward to use. Things like mapping or my Through houses might, you know, they, they look like simple processes. And so people can adopt them and use them fairly quickly, but to actually do signs of safety, they must incorporate these interpersonal skills and critical thinking skills. And that takes time to develop. Workers need that time to be able to develop those skills. Workers also need time to think slowly. So, We know from broader literature that being able to do critical thinking requires slow thinking. People need, all, all humans need time to do that work. It cannot be done fast. And so within social work organizations, workers will need time to be able to think. They'll also need time to develop relationships with families in order to enact these and interpersonal skills. And of course that has implications for, for example, caseload, how many cases workers have, do they have the time to think slowly, to build their skills and to develop relationships with families. That's something that we flag here as something that organizations need to think about in implementing signs of safety. So summing up this um, CMOC, we said, if workers use signs of safety tools and processes but they don't have sufficient interpersonal critical thinking skills or they don't have sufficient time to use these then families may not feel a sufficient sense of psychological safety comprised of trust and feeling cared for to feel engaged to engage in the social work process. In addition to this social workers may not be able to suspend their judgment until enough Evidence is collected to balance harm, risk of harm and safety and therefore workers may not implement signs of safety because they lack the skills or the opportunity to use the skills that are needed to enact the principles that are the essence of the approach. So what we're emphasizing here is that science of safety is not simply its tools or its processes. the things that are sort of more obvious in what people may think about when they think about science of safety. What our analysis suggests is that it is those things, but it's those things with significant skills, particularly interpersonal skills and critical thinking skills. And we should think of it as that integrated whole. And those things will be needed in order to implement the approach effectively. So it's something for organizations to think about in the implementation process. Okay, so CMOC 3, this one is about training. And, you know, it might seem obvious that training is needed um, in order to be able to enact signs of safety. And that's certainly true within the literature. But it's a little bit more complicated than that in the sense that the literature and the focus groups suggest that, it's not just about providing training, but thinking about when training is provided and how it's provided and to whom. So what we see from the analysis is that there's evidence that staff may disengage from training. So they're not, you know, they might be there, but they're not really present, mindfully in it and paying attention, or they may not attend the training, so they might just stop going to it. If they hold an incompatible mindset, and this is going back to our mark one so where there's some evidence from the literature that where people believed that and um, signs of safety was essentially unsafe because it was incorporating strengths and they had this misperception that incorporating strengths is dangerous and um, necessarily so then they may disengage or where they believe that families can't change and so there's no point in trying to engage in the sign- safety process they may disengage from um, from training they may also disengage if they perceive the trainers to be low quality so something else to to consider and when signs of safety is implemented also matters so in some organizations um signs of safety has been implemented uh, sorry, signs of safety training has been implemented to workers before practice leads and leaders and managers are trained. And what we see is that this is really problematic because what happens is that them workers aren't really able to practice their skills effectively. They're not getting signs of safety supervision and they're not really able to learn the approach properly. And they may then forget what they have learned by the time others are trained. So the timing of training matters. And finally, it's important to think about staff trainer, uh, turnover. So staff in an organization might end up lacking signs of safety training if there's half, high staff turnover because the training may be provided to existing staff, but then new starters may end up not getting that training. They may not have got it elsewhere. And so if there is high staff turnover, The uh, research suggests that in house training is probably needed in order to try to plug that gap. So it's something to think about for organizations again in in thinking about implementation. So CMOC 4. This one is about group supervision so as you know you know generally in social work supervision is most often a one-on-one process but within group within signs of safety it's group supervision it's done in a group and quite purposefully so um and what we see here, see here is that the the architects approach themselves say that quality group supervision is a key part of signs of safety and it's needed to be able to share thinking, so for workers to be able to share their developing understanding of the approach with um, practice leads or supervisors, managers, and to get feedback on that thinking. And for them also to be able to share their experiences as they experience them, their decisions in cases, and to get practice from, uh, to get feedback from practice leads, in order for them to be able to learn the approach effectively. So learning in signs of safety does not simply happen in training. It's meant to happen. Seventy percent of it is meant to happen after training on on the job effectively, and it happens to a large extent in this process of group supervision. So quality group supervision is very important. And practice leaders are in the group supervision process intended to use appreciative inquiry to question and challenge workers to evidence what they think. They're there to correct misunderstandings. So some of the mindsets that we discussed at the beginning that are problematic in implementing signs of safety, these misunderstandings can be corrected within group supervision. And um, practice leaders can also model the approach. So group supervision, we see, though, is not always implemented in practice. and the. The evidence shows us that it's not always implemented and its absence can be associated with confusion about the approach amongst workers suggesting its importance. So we see in our um, in our analysis, this, this CMOC here, summing it up, where frequent quality group supervision is absent, responsibility for work is individualized rather than shared in the sense that individual workers end up having to take responsibility for the work without that feedback process happening, without being able to check their thinking and make sure they're understanding things properly. And the work is also not transparent. So it means that it's, it's not transparent to those who are helping to supervise workers to be able to check that what they're doing is actually signs of safety as it's intended. And therefore, misunder- misperceptions and misunderstandings, cognitive biases can go unchecked, and this can lead to dysfunctional implementation of the approach. So something to consider here is that group supervision is really crucial in science of safety, and it's needed in order to, for workers to learn the approach and to ch- check misunderstandings and misperceptions that can develop. So this is a quote from um, one of our participants in the focus groups and who's an architect of the approach. And this person is talking about the the idea that collusion can happen um, within social work practice. And they say, I think collusion with families is a genuine worry if you're working in an organization where you don't have access to a team and to supervision. If you're a lone worker, there is a danger that you start to collude and that you are only able to focus on the good points in the family. So I would say that the worry of collusion is accurate where you're in, when you haven't got the right context. So this idea that, you know, this this liability is there if you don't provide the the right organizational supports in order to check workers' thinking and practice and, and ensure that that practice is accountable to the organization. So it's DMACC 5. This one's about organizational alignment. And I mentioned this at the start. It's part of the Science of Safety theory of Change around organizational alignment. So the organizational theory of change states that in order for signs of safety to be implemented this requires some things to happen in the organization and this involves you know reforming existing policies and forms and case management processes to make sure that they're aligned with signs of safety that they're speaking to the same thing signs of safety speaks to and also the implementation of meaningful measures so These are quality assurance measures that need to be aligned with signs of safety. And in keeping with this, the the literature does suggest that organizational alignment has been found to support consistency of implementation. And we see this for a number of reasons. We can see some logic behind it in the literature as well. So. Where organisational processes are not aligned, staff can become quite frustrated, understandably, with implementing signs of safety because they can end up duplicating their recording. Um, So recording practice notes in in two different places or in different headings that don't align with signs of safety. And that can be very frustrating and time consuming and take time away that could be spent with families. An implementation before alignment happens can also lead to confusion for staff because they're working with old processes that don't match up with signs of safety. Where forms aren't aligned, it can be challenging for supervisors to see the work that's being done, to check it and to support learning and accountability of practice. And finally, some workers and seem to also understandably question the organization's commitment to signs of safety where where systems aren't aligned and might therefore be hesitant to bother to implement the approach and to learn it if they're not sure the organization is really committed to keeping it and doing it. So summing this up, we say where organizational systems are not aligned with signs of safety, Staff focus may be diverted from learning and doing signs of safety practice onto what the system records. And learning and accountability may be impeded because supervisors can't easily check signs of safety practice. And further, staff motivation might be diminished because staff don't believe signs of safety is a priority. And staff might feel frustrated and confused by needing to duplicate recording and therefore they may not implement signs of safety. So finally, CMOC C, this is the last one, and this one is about engaged leadership. So what we find here is that the supportive leadership does seem to strongly influence implementation and within the literature we see that consistent implementation is associated with leaders modeling signs of safety in their interactions with staff, which is what's intended in terms of signs of safety itself. leaders and managers will model signs of safety with staff so that staff learn and experience how to do it with families. So we sum this up as follows where leaders do not closely follow signs of safety methods of learning and leadership in their interactions with staff or are not closely engaged with frontline practice and do not explicitly expect that signs of safety will be used by all employed staff in every service. Staff will miss active learning opportunities, lack confidence that they will be supported to learn and work in new ways and be judged by fair criteria, and they may therefore not implement signs of safety. So this is um, a quote by one of our participants in the focus groups talking about what it looks like when you have engaged leadership in their experience. They're saying we had the CEO in the organization where I was working when I learned about signs of safety. And he always knew if there were really hard cases and he always was emailing or giving a phone call or maybe if he was in the same office, just saying hi and checking in with you. I think that's the leaders we need who are really wanting to go back there once in a while and, yeah, that can grow their love for the hard work that social workers do and keeps them so connected. So that's the, there are six CMOCs in terms of our findings and I just want to draw together a few conclusions around this um, as a whole. So, First of all, you know, I think we it's really important to acknowledge that implementation is really challenging and it's unpredictable. So where anyone in an organization is finding the process of implementing signs of safety or anything else difficult, it's difficult because it is difficult that that is inherent to to working within a human service organization. And what I would argue we need is better understandings of how and why non-implementation as well as implementation happens and how and why dysfunctional implementation happens so that it can be, you know, so we can keep an eye out for it and so that we can learn to correct it and adapt the system in order to be most productive within that unpredictable process. And we have within complex adaptive systems this very well evidenced propensity for unintended consequences. So I think it's important to note that anyone trying to make change shouldn't assume that messaging will be understood as they intend. And it's very common for misunderstandings to happen within implementation processes. And we see an example of this within science and safety. So monitoring staff sense making, checking in with staff to see how they are understanding um, what it is that they have been asked to do and exploring underlying assumptions and beliefs that underpin behavior is really important in this process in order to tackle misunderstandings and to work with staff to address anything that might be misunderstood in terms of um, imparting a, a practice framework. Our research also really emphasizes the importance of critical thinking and interpersonal skills, that signs of safety is not a set of tools. While it might just look like a set of tools, that's sort of the outside of the approach, but the inside is a set of principles that underpin these tools. And they're crucial to being able to actually enact signs of safety as opposed to just implementing the trappings of tools. And while critical thinking and interpersonal skills might seem like taken for granted skills, we know from international research that, you know, they are they should not be taken for granted. They are sometimes lacking. And Donald Forrester has done a lot of work on this, for example, showing that social work communication skills, while they're often assumed, that it's not always the case that they are there, and they may be something that organisations need to work on in order to be able to implement this approach as it's in intended. Important. Uh, uh, important to this is having a really supportive working environment as well and there are things that need to be in place for workers to be able to do this work so support for building skills that takes time and it takes having enough space to be able to deploy those skills once they are learned so having enough thinking time to be able to do critical thinking but also time to build relationships with family. And to consider as well how and when uh, training is provided that not just providing training in itself is important but it's also important the sequencing of of training with other professionals and um, when it's provided governance too is something to consider so leadership that's connected to practice is evidence that this seems to be important in the process of implementation as well as aligning recording systems so making sure that um, there isn't duplication of systems. With one signs of safety system, and then old systems still there. That signs of safety is implemented after those systems have been aligned, so that they're they're fully aligned together. And finally, just the unpredictability of making change, and keeping in mind this this idea from Argus and Schoen. So. This is an idea about organizational learning, that in order to implement change in such complex organizations, it's really crucial for organizations to think about the processes that they have in place, firstly for what we call single loop learning, so this is about correcting misperceptions which will inevitably occur, and developing learning. So. It's not enough to provide training. More than that needs to happen. We should assume that misperceptions can occur and make sure that there are processes in place to correct them. Now, group supervision within signs of Safety is a key strategy for doing this. And, and this sort of highlights the importance of that, that process, quality, frequent group supervision. But organisations also need... To have processes for what's called double loop learning. And this is about correcting the organization's underlying norms and policies and objectives. So where the organization itself is impeding implementation or impeding workers from being able to do good practice, for example, by having processes that create excessive bureaucracy or take them away from time with families unnecessarily. Then those processes need to be understood, identified, and addressed as well. So all things for for organisations to to think about as in the implementation process. And hopefully this is some this is some food for thought in in terms of of thinking about these things. I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts about this and any any questions, of course, that you have. So finally, just to say that um this research is published in this article, and um I'm really and delighted to say that we were able to publish it under a creative commons license which is a very open creative commons license a c by license it means that you can just click on that link and you'll be able to access the article there's no paywall or anything like that you're also free to share and adapt the the article um, with the one restriction that you give credit so you cite it um, and if you make any changes that you make clear the changes that you've made and other than that and um, we hope that you you will be able to use it we I have also published other um articles from this the same piece of research. So just to flag those as well, this one here around understanding the social worker-family relationship through self-determination theory. And that's published in child and family social work. It's o- also open access. And we have another article that's under review, which is about understanding the social worker organizational relationship. So um, I hope that um, you're, you're able to look at those if you would, if you would like to. And just to note as well, thanks to Resolutions Consultancy who provided funding for this study. And these are email addresses in case you would like to get in touch, we'd be delighted to. So I'd be very happy to take any questions and and thank you very much for listening.
0: Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Caffrey. Um, We really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I know it's the the end of uh, your day and you're winding down. And so uh, we can't thank you, both of you for coming today to share your findings, Um, so much knowledge as well. Um, I wanna remind the audience to continue submitting your questions to the Q&A box and email them. Uh, We have quite a few questions that have already come in. Um, And as we have talked about before, Dr. Caffrey, many of the organizations um, in Canada, specifically those in Ontario, have been using um signs of safety um some have tried to uh, um, adapt it uh, to it their own context and environment as well so um your study has been so helpful for us to think about ways that implementations of, of this of signs of safety or any practice initiatives really um can change and cause unintended consequences um if we're not really focusing on that um Before we get started too, uh, I just wanted to ask um, why signs of safety? So you're interested in a lot of different practice initiatives um, in different sectors. Uh, What drew you to um, this specific practice model?
1: Uh, Well, for me, it's the context, I suppose. In Ireland, um, signs of safety became the national practice framework for all child protection social workers in late 2017 so before that there were 17 different areas um within our child and family agency and each one was using a different practice framework or perhaps a few different frameworks mm-hmm. and now everyone's using the same framework so Ireland is one of the few places in the world where signs of safety has been implemented on a, a national level yes. um, and Northern Ireland now has also implemented it Um, on a national level. And so it's on the entire island of Ireland. So in that sense, it was something that was very much of interest to me. Right. And so even though we are using
0: this practice model in our country, um, we're definitely a bit behind in evaluating the implementation of it. Um, So we really appreciate studies such as this. I'd love for you to come back um, and share your results from the other two studies um, that you've mentioned towards the end, if you're interested, of course you really did an excellent job of bringing together those unintended consequences um, that we need to be asking ourselves the further we implement um, across the the province and across the country. Um, So we have a few questions that I'm going to jump into. Um, Our first is about were there any cultural considerations um, raised as a challenge to appropriate implementation in some of the articles that you came across?
1: Did you will I let you is there anything you want to say on that before I talk some more? <laughs> yeah, no, I suppose in they would have been
2: considered under context, um, when yeah. we looked would have looked at the literature. And there wasn't any the culture more really in relation to leadership styles and differences in that context, rather than anything um specifically cultural. If okay. that makes sense. I'm quite in that, Louise, haven't I? Yeah, I think
1: so. It's not something that comes up strongly in the literature. And it's probably an area where we need more more research. So something that Realist Methods emphasises is that You know, no approach is likely to work for everyone, everywhere. And what we need is this nuanced understanding of for whom things work in what contexts and why. Mm -hmm. And so fleshing out questions like that is really important, Mm -hmm. but it's not something that came up as um, a strong theme within within the literature. We don't have much evidence on it.
2: And Um, I suppose context as well isn't bound by a place I suppose that's an important consideration in the realist. So like none of our literature analysis would have clearly, obviously when we were looking at our literature, we got from what country or what area it was undertaken, but that didn't form part of our analysis as such. So it was
0: more different factors for the context. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, Another, we had actually a thank you come in um, in the chat box, thank you. This was excellent, many points for us to think about and implement in our work with families, children and youth. Um, We have a question about more like a user-friendly type of, um, do you, it says, what kind of user-friendly or pared down evaluative or reflective practices can we as supervisors implement in our daily work? that would maybe help mitigate some of the issues you have highlighted. Um, so part of that is we like, we will help make a practice points um, page, which is gonna be a little bit of a summary of this presentation, but do you know of any other resources that you've created or that might be out there that can sort of um, outline some of your CMOCs and what to look for for supervisors? Um,
1: yeah, I, I don't, but you're right. I mean, I think, <laughs> the way that our academic articles are written are not necessarily super digestible so we're always really happy to kind of present it like this but Mm -hmm. having something that is exactly that yeah like uh, something that highlights some of these key issues could be very helpful I think it's not something we've quite got around to doing but I'd certainly be really interested to do that and Mm -hmm. um, maybe Frida with me as well to and if if someone wanted to get in touch and think about how we could do that, well, I'd be really interested in working with someone who's on the ground doing this, because I think, right. you know, sometimes we're a bit distanced from people who are using our findings and being able to understand how, what what you need from this would be really helpful. So um, I think that's a really good idea.
0: Awesome.
1: Thank you. And um, we'll also send
0: you the practice points that we make. So it'll be right. like a one to two page summary. It'll be like maybe a nice table form. We're not sure, but. Some uh maybe a tool that might be helpful for people um to bring to their organizations as well to um to talk about some of these problems.
1: It's fantastic.
0: Yes. Um. So, do you foresee any changes to the way that science of safety is taught or supervised um, based on the findings from
1: these papers? Hmm. I don't know. It's it's a hard one. I suppose. I hope that. All I can say, I suppose, is that I hope that we can be helpful in highlighting some things that organizations and supervisors could be mindful of in thinking about implementing this. But I'm not sure that we have um, anything to say that things will change. Mm-hmm. Um, some of what we have done in the wider research is around thinking about the um, science of safety itself and how we explain it and this is the paper using self determination theory and that's been quite influential within science of safety itself and has been has been taken on as something to think about within um the science of safety directors and um architects of the approach but within organizations we'll have to see i think it's probably quite early days in terms of this research yeah.
0: Um, Thank you. We had a comment about how signs of safety was implemented right before COVID. um, And with the importance of group supervision, I think this has impacted its efficacy at my organization. Um, Really good point, um, because you did emphasize the importance of that group supervision piece. So how do you, in your literature review, did you see um maybe that struggle of more working from home and hybrid work um on that group supervision piece
1: we didn't know
0: it didn't come up for
1: us and um, but our literature review would have stopped uh before covid was finished okay. so so yeah. that's probably some of it so some of that literature might have come out since we did mm-hmm. this review
0: yeah which would be really cool for future yeah. future studies right absolutely
1: yeah
0: okay and the last uh, question that we have is: How can I advocate um, for myself that this research um, about SOS training is recognized in my agency before the problems occur? Hmm. Yeah,
2: Frida, do you want to do you want to take that one? Yeah, um, I suppose pull, pull out the paper. Yeah, say this right? is the yeah. evidence suggests. Yeah, say. It. Say to your manager, have those discussions. It's supposed Mm -hmm. to be about an open system. Have those discussions. The evidence suggests what can we do
0: about this now? How can we implement this better in our practice? And just a reminder to the person who wrote that, this is going to be on our website. And we have a lot of people use our Webinars for like lunch and learns, learns and team learning environments. So, um, bring this forth to your supervisor if you are feeling that um, you're not necessarily getting the support needed to implement science of safety appropriately, or if you have questions about its implementation. Um, and I'm sure that Dr. Louise Caffrey and Dr. Frida Brown would love to answer questions in the future and sort of help um, your specific organization. Um, attack or any challenges that you might face. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And I just had one uh, quick question. We've heard of some um, organizations across the world implementing programs, um, like some signs of something. So not like an adaptation of signs of safety. Did that come through in any of um, your literature review or any of your experience
1: um, in Ireland? Yeah it's a good question. So yeah signs of something exactly and and it's not necessarily used for child protection social work it can be used for lots of different areas. Um we limited our study so that we were only looking at this one area so it's mm-hmm. not something that we looked at okay. but it it is being adapted in various different places to to use it in different areas. So I think, you know, watch this space and we'll we'll see what happens there. But I can't say much about it from the literature because we didn't look at that in any kind of systematic way for this particular study. But it yeah. could be something interesting to look at in the future. And I definitely yeah. encourage others to, to get into that space and have a look at it. It could be very interesting.
0: All right, Um, it looks like our time is up. Um, I'm hoping this is not the last time that we speak with you both though. I'd be really interested um, and having you back, if you're interested to talk more about the study, um, we've talked about it quite a bit at our um, at part here about how much we love it. Um, in our own conversations with senior leaders across um, our country, um, part is developing actually a critical thinking curriculum specifically for child welfare. And this ties so, like, so well into some of those um, skills that practitioners need to implement the program as it's intended. So we're really excited um, to see what comes of that and uh, really looking forward to this growing relationship and learning more from you in the future. Um, I really want to thank all of our practitioners for signing in today to listen to the webinar. We truly appreciate your support and engagement apart and your desire to be a lifelong learner. Um, we also want to thank both of our presenters because we love this platform. We're able to connect researchers with practitioners from all over the country and the world. Um, so thank you both for giving us uh, some of your time today. Um, So we have our next webinar on January 30th at 2 p.m. Eastern time, um, titled Forms of Intergenerational Continuity of Child Maltreatment in Child Protection Services Involved Families from Montreal, Quebec. Um, So we really hope that our our, um, part members can tune into that or watch the webinar on our website after it. So I hope that um, you all have a great rest of week and uh, the rest of the night for both of you uh, presenters. And thank you so much once again. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks so much for
1: having us Sarah. I really, really appreciate it. And I hope it was helpful to everyone.
0: It was. Thank you so much. Have a great day.